This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. There's at least three people that said to me, it feels a bit weird to be here this morning, okay? But I think it's great because church isn't about the venue. Church is about the people and the presence of God. Amen. Um, and so sometimes when it feels, when we go through some change or there's something new, we all have to ad- adapt. We all sort of have to make our mind shift a little bit as to, to what church is really about. It's not about a Sunday event. It's about the kingdom of God in our lives and through our lives every day during the week. Amen. Thank you for your excitement at the beginning of the year. I just think of some people that need to start working tomorrow. And uh, some people just walked in and said, oh, you know, I need to go and rest at work. Some people did have no holiday. But um, we trust you have an amazing year and that the Lord will bless, bless you and make his face shine upon you. Great. So just again, there are extra toilets at the back there. There are toilets in the foyer. If you lose your way, then just go to where the light shines, the front foyer on that side, okay? Somebody will help you. Your car is on that side. The children's church next week will be on classrooms on the right, so all the children will go to the back and the, to the other side. So we we sort of finding our orientation as to how things will work and how things will be done. But we've spent a couple of days here already, so we, we feel like we're really welcome here. Just thank you for everyone that came to help yesterday to set up and wash the floors and move all the stuff. We, we felt like a massive move, but th- thanks for those people that did come and help and serve and just give of the Holy Saturdays um, to come and bless, bless the church because it took quite a number of people to set up everything like it is today. And we appreciate your help, especially Eugene and Jakes and all the people that drove around all the stuff um, for that. Just smile. It's amazing to smile this time of the year. <laughs> it's like a um, <clears throat> maybe when we just shake off the holiday spirit, all of those people starting to work tomorrow, we just do this, just shake off the holiday spirit and say, hey. Um, we, um, this year, our theme for this year is quite a long theme, but it's to make obedient disciples that are rooted in Christ. Making obedient disciples that are rooted in Christ. And um, I, I think for all of us, uh, change doesn't come easy for us um, as people. You know, the moment when there's change or, you know, um, I remember coming to a church once and I wanted to go and sit on this specific, I just meant to sit on the chair and then this old lady came in and she said, no, that is my chair. I've been sitting there for 35 years. This is my holy chair, you know. And I thought, like, oops, <laughs> you know, move along, you know, um, because somebody was sitting on her chair. Now, change doesn't come easily to us. And um, we, we are sometimes reluctant to change because we are creatures of comfort. We're creatures that love our space and things. And so at, at our house, we've been having a building project. And I, I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in a building project, Okay. Um, don't ever, is there, or there are some builders in the church, you know, but whatever the builder says, just multiply it by two and make sure that, you know, your expectation is different than that. 
Um, but um, with, with our building project, we had a great guy, Umiyani, helped us there. So he was under the budget, which was amazing. But um, a building project makes you like, get very uncomfortable because you sort of like, you have to move. And, and um, in our house, in our relationship, there is somebody that's a bit of a, somebody that gathers a lot of stuff in the home, you know. And I'm not going to point any fingers um, to that person. But so, so getting to open some cupboards that you haven't opened in 15 years, now 10 years, you know, and then, then you realize like, well, here's the kids' shoes that were when they were three years old, you know, and, and, and the five-year-old, and then we had like trucks of loads of stuff that we had to like get out of the house. The same when we came here, we realized like, you, we've actually like gathered a lot of stuff. And um, even, you know, I read an article over the holidays of, uh, there's the self-storage um, business in the world. How many billions of dollars people spend every year to store up their possessions? Uh, just here in Stellenbosch, there's a couple of places where you can go and store all your extra stuff, the stuff that you don't use regularly. So, so we're creatures of comfort. We're creatures that would like our space and we don't always want to get rid of stuff. Is there any hoarders in the house? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, you can repent later. I'm speaking especially to you, okay? But, no, I'm, no. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a scripture that is, um, for me, s- sort of stood out for me in the holidays, especially in the times that we are living. And it's Isaiah 55. It's God's invitation. And we, we're starting with that when we talk about this discipleship and the lifestyle of obedience to raise up obedient disciples because we're trusting that in the next two years, the church will move away from event church to discipleship church. Um, and it sounds very great, but it's, it's, it's very difficult if we are, have been used to doing events as the church. Um, meaning people say, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but that is not biblical at all. Uh, we must say, I am the church. And the, the church is just gathering on Sunday for what God and celebrating what God has done through the whole week. Otherwise, our Christianity becomes dualistic, meaning that God is not involved in my workplace, but he is involved on Sunday and Wednesday night. And so God invites, and I'm going to give some background to this, Isaiah 55, and hopefully we'll, we'll pick up some speed because we need to say a lot of things. But Father, we thank you for your word the entrance of your word this morning, Lord, we're not here for the opinion of man, but it's your word that changes us. And Lord, your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are different than ours. And Lord, we pray for this invitation that you have to come and meet with you. And we pray that you'll open up through your Holy Spirit. Pray that you will create a hunger and a thirst inside of us for your righteousness. And Lord, we know our shortcomings. We know, Lord, we're just human people, but we want to thank you that you invite us to have a meal with you, to come and sit at your table, to come, Lord, and dine with you, to feast with you, but you also want to feast with us. And we want to thank you, Lord, that this morning and this year, Lord, we can, as we consecrate it to you, that, Lord, you bring us to that place of only you are our fulfillment. Only you can satisfy us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to share two things. The, the one was when we, um, I was reading this scripture and the Lord always like confirmed certain stuff to me in very practical ways. So, 
This is the testimony. So I was reading the scripture the Wednesday morning and I was thinking like, wow, God's invitation. And so what we did that, I think it was the Thursday evening, we were going to, I took Josh, my boy, and three other guys to go and sleep on the mountain in Front Hook there on Kurs's farm, Kurs's dad's farm, Kurs and Michelle that is involved here with our children's church. And so I sent one of the guys to go and buy food and water and things like that. And so I told him specifically, buy three, can, three cans of five-liter water. And, um, and so he came back with all this stuff, and then he only bought one can of five-liter water, because if you go and sleep in the mountain and there's no facilities, then water is one of your most important stuff. Uh, but you don't want to run out of water if you're up on the mountains there in the middle of nowhere. And so, so we had this five-liter water can, and uh, we got them to coerce them, and we just greeted them to, to go up onto the mountain. And then Kurs was standing there, and he said, do you know what? Um, I had this weird sense, you know, that I must go and buy two five-liter water cans for you, and so here it is, you know. So we're going up the mountain, and I thought, like, wow, Lord, it's, it's so simple, something so simple, but we needed three liters of water, and we didn't pay for it. But here, out of the ordinary, Kurs just comes and, and gives two five-liter cans to us and says, I just felt God said, I must buy this for you. Now, there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God, would you agree? You know, and, and out of that, this sermon was actually born, because it's in Isaiah 55. Now, you have to get the background a little bit. The Israelites were, a lot of them, and especially the, the more middle and upper class people, were taken into captivity to Babylon. And so, in Babylon they sort of started to grow and the, the Babylonians, as they were in this captivity and slaves in a way, they started to prosper in the land. And so through that prospering, the slave owners started to get them into the military and into the upper class and started to give them a lot of freedom. And so they were actually slaves in that country and started to get a lot of favor blessings, financial stuff, and they started to grow. It actually became very comfortable. So the first generation that was in captivity all died. And now it was almost the second generation. So this generation, the second generation that was in Babylon, did not have the, any knowledge except what their parents told them about Jerusalem and God's promises and God's covenant. And yet they were in this place now very comfortable, very prosperous, uh, they had a lot of freedom, although they were actually in, still slaves. And so they enjoyed life, they could go wherever they wanted. So they were slaves in a way, but they didn't actually know that they were slaves because of the prospering and because of this uh, lots of freedom and this comfort that they were in. And so from Isaiah chapter 40 and right through till Isaiah 55, is sort of these prophecies where the prophet begins to tell them to come back to God, but especially to come back to Jerusalem. The only problem is Jerusalem was in ruins. Jerusalem was a faulty place. Jerusalem was in chaos in a way. And so now they had this comfortable way of living, and God invites them back to his covenant. Now, how do you persuade a group of people that are semi-comfortable and semi-blessed 
to move away from their comfort to a place of obscurity, a place of destruction, a place to rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem. And it's in the middle of this that we especially find Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 53 talks a lot about Jesus and the Messiah and the promises of God. And now we find Isaiah 55, the last invitation to come back. And this is where we jump into Isaiah chapter 55. Are you all with me? Okay. So, ho, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. We're going to go on a little bit now. now but <clears throat> So here God says, hey, listen. Everyone who is thirsty... Everyone, come and buy. Now we've heard this before, but it says, come and buy, but don't buy. You can't buy it with money. You, you don't have, you have got all this comfort, you've got all this security, you've got all that stuff, but I want you to come and buy something from me that you cannot pay for. Now how does that work, you know? Imagine you go in this, in this building project that we had, you know, you would drive around and you'd go and find the best price for something. So there's like, a, there's like a transaction and you would go in and say, no, no, at that place it's cheaper. Or I like those tiles more or that stuff, you know. So, so you, when you go and buy, you, you're looking, you've got a commodity that because it's something that you have paid for and you want to do this transaction. You want to like, yeah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change something because I'm going to buy this thing. But now the Lord says you must come and buy, but don't bring money. Now, now we're all in this way of thinking that there must be something, you know, I must earn something, or I must perform something, or I must do something. That's our culture. And yet God says, when you come to me, don't come with your money. Don't come with your effort. But I want to give you something, but there's still a transaction. There's still a buying, because that's what buying is. You give something so that you can get something, but it's not through your earning or through your goodness or through anything that you have. Now remember again, it's in the place of their comfort. So God says, come and buy because what you have, your comfort, your greatness, your, maybe your security in your policy or in your whatever you have. And I, I think we as the West are definitely there. We're in big trouble as the church in the West because we are, have become so comfortable in the way that we operate that many times the average Christian in the West doesn't need any faith for anything. Because we say, yeah, yeah, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to put out my faith for this, but, you know, I'm, I'm more secure in my long-term planning and investment. Nothing wrong with investment. But there is something wrong if you don't have any faith. Because that's the one thing God is going to come back for, is will I find faith in the earth? Are you with me? I mean, thank you. Just nod your head if you agree, okay? If you don't agree, then walk out or throw me with a chair, okay? But so, so the amazing thing is, <clears throat> come and buy. And he says, he says the, the beginning, come to the waters. And then when you come to the waters, because waters will quench your thirst, you're going to find a lot of other things there. He says you're going to find milk. 
You're going to find the basic necessities because that was the commodities. Of, they were trading with those things. You're going to find a lot of things, but you don't come to those things. You come to the water because water quenches your thirst. And so, so God primarily says between the lines, come to me because I'm the one that's going to fulfill you. If there's anything that you're planning or doing this year and it's not centered around God being your fulfillment, then you and I are in trouble. We don't come to God for the blessings he can give us. We come to God for who God is. We don't come to God for, as the God of the breakthrough or the God of the miracles. We will find the miracles there. We'll find the bread. We'll find the milk. We'll find everything we need there. But we don't come to God for those things. We come to God because we realize he is our fulfillment. He is the one that if everything else is taken away, God will be enough. He will be our security. He will be our life. His presence is our exceedingly great reward. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's presence is your exceedingly great reward. So he says, there's a, we can actually spend a couple of days just on this thing, because <clears throat> on this chapter. Because he says, when you come then, then you need to discern, you need to eat what is good. He says, first come to me, come and, come and buy with money that you don't have. But then you need discernment to, to get to the real stuff. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff. There's, there's a lot of stuff that can actually, even the promises of God can get you very distracted. If those promises become an end in itself or the blessings of God become an end in itself, it will become an idol in your life if God is not the center. Would you agree? You know? Sometimes we pray, Lord, give me this marriage partner, give me this marriage partner. And then three years down the line, you realize, like, oh, Huna, I've actually made this marriage an idol. God is not the center. It's not built around God. And then you need to make a shift back and say, but Lord, you, we want to be obedient to you first. What you say and what you do. And, then, and so this is, he says, listen carefully. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And then he talks about the mercies of David. He talks about the rule of David, the leadership of David. And let's go on. He says, indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call, call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God. And the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And I'm going to probably say 20 times today, but remember the context in which he says it. He calls them out of their comfort. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make a statement that you're probably not going to like, but I'm going to say it. God is not primarily interested in your or my comfort. Because our comfort makes us independent from God. And so God will put us through things. God will allow stuff that will make you very frustrated, very uncomfortable, so that firstly you realize how weak you and I actually are as human beings, how much we are dependent on him. Sure. The modern gospel says, no, no, just come to God. He's your buddy. He just loves you so much, you know, and, and, and he's going to just like love you so much that you go actually to hell one day. 
Oh, no, no, but there isn't a hell in heaven anymore. It's just a figment of our imagination. But just, just live, just live. And God just really is here for you. You're in my comfort, but I've got news for you. He's not. God is interested to take you out of your comfort so that you can drink from the living waters. Because he says there's an abundance there. <laughs> Come and drink and eat from the abundance that I have. So God is not a spoil sport, but God is not selfish as a God. So he, nothing we do can add to him. Would you agree? Your worship, my worship, doesn't add to God. So therefore God is not selfish in nature like we are. So the best thing God can do for you and me and to you and me is to give himself to us. Because he knows that is the only thing that will fulfill us. Amen? And so this is what he says. I'm, I want to bring you back to the place of covenant, Israel. I, I want you to come out of this place because you don't actually realize, you the second generation in Babylon, that you are actually enslaved. You are actually not free. You feel very free. You feel very blessed in this place of comfort. But I want you to bring back to covenant, to the sure mercies of David. There's so much more for you, but you've become blind in your comfort, in your prosperity. And then, you know what's going to happen? It's going to overtake you. You're going to get into trouble. Sure. But that's not what the modern day gospel says. And especially not in the charismatic church in the West. It's just like, hey, God wants to bless you and he just be a good per person. But hey, there's a calling. There's something greater. God has placed you and me in this town, which is the most divided town probably in the world, socioeconomically. The richest persons live here, in South Africa especially, and the poorest people. There's such a divide in this town. And do you know God has placed you here, and what are you going to do about it? Are we going to become the generous people? Are we going to become the people that say, hey... We're going to do it different. We're not just interested in our comfort. Sure. I read a quote. I can't remember, but it was a great quote. It was probably Reinhard Bonker, because I, I was reading his, um, his life story. And he said, when God prospers you, don't spend more time to make your house bigger and your fence higher and upgrade your security system. He says, spend more time to make your table bigger so that more people can sit around your table. That's why God is prospering you. That's why he wants to prosper you. That's why he wants to give you an abundance because God says, come to me. And there's so much abundance for you of me, but, but you have to come. Come out of your comfort. And we say first, Lord, Lord, first comfort, then I'm going to come. God says, no, 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 I want you to Come out, come out from where you are. And that may mean some specific things to all of us. And then God says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you so that people will become jealous of what I'm doing in your lives. And then he says, goes on, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for you will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, are your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It takes great humility when you and I realize like God's ways and his thoughts are different than ours. You know, I, I speak, and I must say this honestly, I speak to a lot of students many times, you know, when 
people just get into the word and then they get this revelation and then they like save for, for two months or two years or five years maybe and then they say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to correct the church. I'm going to make sure the church gets on track. And I think like, you actually know nothing. And I remember one day when I was sitting and it was one of those life-changing rebukes that I got because I was going with um, Angus to Ireland and Scotland and then on the way back, we were three people we, on Heathrow Airport. I still flew to Switzerland and he, he and his son came back to, to South Africa. And so I was going to spend another five days in, in Switzerland and Sweden and some places to connect with Christians there. And so, so, he said, so on the way in Scotland, he said to me, we're going to have a talk on Heathrow Airport. And so, um, so I was thinking, and we knew each other quite well at that stage. So we, we, said, we said, just the two of us. And I thought like, oh, good luck, good luck. And so here we sit down with a cup of coffee. I still remember the coffee cost 120 rand. In, you know, so whenever you go overseas, don't try to convert. Okay, just say, Lord, I am converted, but don't try to change, you know, Honda, the pound, you know. Um, and so, so here we're sitting, and nicely, and he says to me, there's a couple of things you need to learn, young man. Now, when somebody tells you that, then you keep quiet, you know. <laughs> so I sat there, I thought, ooh, okay, I'm almost 40, you know, and young man, you know. So, I'm so And so, so now he begins to tell me, he says, like, Firstly, you never travel alone as a preacher. Now he begins to rebuke me for going alone and after two weeks away, now I'm going to go away for another five or six days. And so he begins to tell me some stuff, you know. And this ego inside of me rises up, you know. And everything just, but I'm sitting there with a smile and I'm thinking like, who are you, you know. And so, so in the middle of this heavy talk that he has with me, he says to me, okay, so what do, you want to, what do you want to say about this? So now I want to, you know, I just want to defend myself. Yeah, but, you know, and so I start to talk. And I think it was probably four sentences, and I can't even remember what I said. He says, be quiet. You're not even 40, and you want to have an opinion. So you know nothing until you're 40 years old, you know? And it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know, then he took out his notebook and he started to tell me. You know? But I was so blessed that there was somebody that loved me enough to tell me some stuff. Yeah, but the first couple of sentences, everything was just like, Shh, "Don't you tell me?" You know, "Don't you?" You know. And so sometimes when when I talk to young people and they now they have the revelation, you know, we should be more Calvinistic or we should be more Armenian or we should be like, we should be more, you know, predestination. And then they go off and then I just sit there and I think like, you know nothing, you're not even 40, you know. (laughs) But I don't say that because they didn't have that talk and I just want to be gracious. I think like, you've got no clue, get kids one day. And then, you know, it's almost like, you know, one one day when when we got... um, our first child, our child threw a tantrum at church. And there was this young elder couple that had, didn't have children then. And, and still, it was still at the Kutzenberg Center here at the DF Milan. And so this guy walked in and our child threw a tantrum and he stood there and he said, Oh, the pastor's kids are naughty, eh? Um, you should discipline your children. You know? And I'm thinking like, oh, you know, it's almost, you know, I just was... Quiet. It was just one of those nights that we didn't sleep the previous night. And so two, just fast forward two years later, you know, they had a child. And then we were at Stellenbosch High School. And so I walked in and guess what elder's 
child was throwing a tantrum on the floor in the foyer in front of all the people. So I just went there and I stood there and I said, hmm. And then he just shook his head. He said, I know, don't tell me. I said, hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to rub it in a little bit because I enjoyed the moment. I had to repent later that my flesh enjoyed every moment of that tantrum. And that was a massive tantrum, you know. It was like the, 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 the back was bent over, the feet went like this, and the arms went like this. And, you know, it was looking like a backstroke swimming competition there in the front foyer. And I was thinking like, hmm, we'll, we'll tell her, let's wait till that child gets two, two you know, between two and three. And then we're going to talk again, you know. But it's, it's amazing. The point I'm trying to, what, what point am I trying to make? But the point I'm trying to make is never think you've arrived. And this is what, what the writer is saying. He says, my thoughts are higher than yours, but will you trust me? Will you trust God in this year that whatever comes across your path, his thoughts and his ways are different than yours? But it takes great humility and trust to surrender to that when you don't understand. You see, we want to be comfortable and understand and then we want to surrender. And God says, now come first. Come out of your comfort. Come out of that place. And let me tell you, the church in the West, God is busy shaking. God is not interested in our comfort. He's bringing us to places where we can discover again who He is. But it's a challenging season. You know, the church in the East and the church in the Middle East, I don't know if you've read the past couple of weeks, all the major pastors in China have been arrested. A massive flood of persecution on the Chinese church. India, the same. Nepal, the same. Pakistan, the same. Sri Lanka, the same. Myanmar, the same. Anti-conversion laws is flooding the church in the East. And they're all being imprisoned for tax stuff or other stuff than what the real reason is. Their faith. So there is a part of the church that is really used to not being comfortable. But there's an invitation. And that invitation is going out to people like you and me and say, hey, in your prosperity, will you come out of your comfort? My thoughts are different than yours. My ways are higher than yours. And my thoughts are different than yours. Listen to this, the last part of this. Invitation. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. At the center, first, if you come to God, the second thing that he says is when you understand, it takes true surrender, true humility, true faith, true obedience to come to that place of surrender. Then God says, my thoughts are different than yours. My ways are higher. But in the center of it, if you embrace God's word, he says, I will send it into your life. And it will give bread to the eater and it will give seed to the sower. God will give you a lot of seed that you can begin to sow to the different generations. I was thinking a lot this past two, three weeks 
of Um Reinhard Bunker. And I was thinking one thing. Somebody like him that led over 70 million people to the Lord. One of God's top servants in the world. I wonder what reception he got when he got to heaven. Just imagine that. And I was reminded of one night, it was in the year 2000, when we went up to a massive crusade that he had an outreach in Nigeria and Lagos. Two million people in one service. Two million people in one service. 1.1 million people gave their hearts to the Lord. Filled in a decision card for Jesus. 1.1 million people in one service. Go Google it. Lagos 2000. Reinhard Punker. And as we were there and going back to the hotel that evening, I'll never forget it. We walked into the hotel room 12 o'clock because the traffic was chaos to get out there. And all of us were ready to go to bed. And Reinhard stopped. And he started to preach the gospel to a guy sitting there in the foyer. And I thought like, wow, something is different about you. Because you're not this powerful man that preached to a crowd of two million people now. Because that one person in the foyer is just as important as the two million people that you preach to. Because the gospel is still powerful to that one person. And I realized that was more than 20 sermons right there, happening right there in the foyer of that hotel that evening. Why? Because I realized the value I had on the word of God. The value he placed on what Jesus died for. And so when we start to realize that what is really valuable, the blood of Jesus, the presence of God, then we realize you can't buy it. The relationship God places you in. You can't buy it with money. You can throw a lot of money at it, but you can't buy it. You can't buy fulfillment. You can go overseas. You can do all the holidays you want to do in this world, but you can still be empty. You can still be depressed when you come back. Because there's only one that fulfills. And that's why God says if there's a group of people that come out of this place, that returns to the Lord, out of their comfort, come out of this place to God, the one thing you have to value is the word of God. We're sitting in the West and in our nation where people are trying to change the word of God, people are compromising the word of God, even in the church, mainline churches, charismatic churches, there's a massive split coming between those who value the word of God and those who've become so liberal in their ways of thinking, who wants to change to conform to culture, who wants to say, no, 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 let's just be liberal, let's just be tolerant, let's just not speak the word of God. We don't need to defend the word of God, but we need to speak the word of God uncompromisingly. Because if you compromise the word of God, you will lose the power of the word of God. You know, there's one thing that Um Reinhardt said that really challenged me. He said one day he was praying and then the Lord said to him, Reinhardt, my word in my mouth is like my word in your mouth. When you speak the word, it's like I'm speaking it. There's a scripture that says God waits upon his word to perform it. It's like God is waiting for somebody to speak his word and then he will perform that word. So the power in our preaching doesn't lie in the nice sermons and the nice media and all that. The power in our preaching lies in the word of God. 
Because it's that what changes people's lives. So stick to the word of God. Preach it. Put it on your bedroom door. Put it everywhere. Put it up. Memorize scripture. Get, uh, get the word of God inside of us. We are the most biblical, illiterate generation that has lived for a long time. Where we live by suggestions and not by any commands anymore. If you walk to the average church and charismatic church today, they can't even quote one verse. Maybe John 3.16. Yeah, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. No, that's Galatians 2 verse 20, if you didn't know, okay? But get into the word of God. So my ways are higher, my thoughts are higher. Cool. I have not even started. So, there's a couple of things that God already pleased with. But so what, what is that challenge? And hopefully we'll get to that next week. Okay, but what, what is the challenge this morning for us? It means we need to surrender to his ways and his thoughts that are higher. You need to take that thing that wants to control and wants comfort and wants culture, wants consumerism, you need to let it go and say, God, I'm going to surrender to you because I trust. When you say something, it's going to happen. I don't know if you have this desire, but I have a desire that this whole campus will turn to Jesus. And I know it can in one day. One day is enough for God. I have a desire that this whole town will turn to Jesus. One day is enough for God. But see, we lose our passion because we get self-centered. Everything is around, what am I going to do? What, what am I, you know, and we, I'm, I must ex- expose, but, but I was working with a group of people not long ago, and, and we were talking about, I told them, okay, guys, you need to work out a sermon on a certain topic. And so they were working out the sermon at the end of that, getting feedback from them. I said, okay, wonderful, you know. But I think you're missing the whole point. Because your whole sermon is about you, the individual, connecting with God. And that's great. But you're playing straight into individualism. Because even the modern day church tells you, Hear the word of God. Listen to the voice of the Lord. And then we say it's an individualistic thing. But when I read scripture, most of the times when people heard God speaking, it was always in community. So when when Paul, Saul comes on the road to Damascus, he has this experience with God. He has this moment with God. And woof, he falls from from the horse. And then the first thing God says is, go to the prophet. Go to the street straight. And there you'll get more instructions. Why didn't God just give him the instructions? Because Paul would have messed it up just by himself. But the modern day charismatic person says, No, God spoke to me. I heard God's voice. I need to move, you know. New church, new this, new that. And I think like, okay. So let's talk about who did you speak to? Who did you ask to pray with you about this move of yours? No, no, no. God spoke to me. I heard the voice of God. Sure. Okay. I've heard many people say that over years and get very deceived. God's plan is not for you to be an individual, but to live in community. Most of God's promises is for a community, not for the individual. Did you know that? (laughs) Most of the 
books of the Bible have been written to a community, not to the individual. So we say this thing like, oh, you know, accept the Lord as your personal Savior. But I don't find that in Scripture. God is not your personal Savior. He is the Savior of the world. And so we've got a lot of cultural baggage and individualism of independence. And we actually just subtly bring that into the gospel where we become the center of God's plans. Sure. <laughs> but even discipleship, even everything, even hearing the voice of God, it's always in community. And somebody like John Yip challenges me a lot. I told the story before, you know, but he got, he, and I, I hope he doesn't mind me. He's not here, so I can talk about him. Okay, but so, I did ask his permission. But so, he comes to a couple of people and he says to him, do you know what? I need to know if, if I and my family need to move back to Malaysia. But I'm not going to pray about it. Because I know you and the six of you, and I'm walking in covenant with you, I want you to pray about whether I should make this move back to Malaysia. And three months from now, I need you to get together and I need you to tell me. No, 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 but that's not sense. I must hear from the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that what we all say sometimes? And I think you must hear from the Lord first and others will confirm prophetic words, especially in your life. But we need to move away from this individualistic thing, just me and me and the Lord. Jesus taught us, our Father. Pray, our Father. So whatever he does in your life is in any case going to be in the context of community and generational. Because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? What he does in your life will at least go through to three generations. Otherwise, it's not from the Lord. I met this Louis Giglio a couple of weeks ago. And then he asked a question that really bowled me out completely. He said, what is your vision for 2080? 2080, 60 years from now. And I thought, like, I'm dead. I'm buried. I'm worshiping Jesus with the angels, you know. If you don't have a vision beyond your lifetime, it's not from God. But we have a vision like, God, prosper me now. Bring the breakthrough in my lifetime. But if you're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, most of the people, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, at the beginning, go read it. He says, they saw the promise afar, they took ownership of it, never happened in their life, but it became their own. Those were the great men of faith that scripture says. Abraham, look at the stars. Noah, Joseph, Joshua, most of them never saw the promises of God fulfilled in their lifetime. But God calls them great men and women of faith. Sarah, go read it. But the modern day gospel says, no, no, God is really going to just prosper you. And when you build this massive kingdom, then you can be a rock star in the kingdom. Ooh. Am I shaking some boxes here? <laughs> but this is what God is saying. And so surrender means to absolutely abandon yourself, to give oneself completely, to have a circumcised heart. God, only you. And you alone. And we're living in a generation that is longing for independence. Say, so I want to be comfortable so that I can become independent. And then God will use me. And God says, no, come and surrender. Come out of your comfort. Come, I call you to a place 
where you can drink and you can have abundance but it's not to your thoughts my thoughts and my ways are different than yours will you surrender to that will you trust me church will you come up whoa I'm on slide number 5 and there are 17 slides but we're going to stop here so what does that mean to you what does that mean to me to really surrender because we all have this stuff that we hold on to but if you absolutely abandon yourself it's because you trust someone you you realize that they've been faithful it's the person you surrender to it's not the promises you surrender to and that's what God says Israel come out come out from that place you are being prospered you have all your plans I've given you so much freedom but you're still a slave in the world you'll still be a slave the world will enslave you to its way of thinking, to its culture. I want you to live life now. And God says there's an eternal life. I'm building mansions up there. This life is just passing through. Will you return to the Lord? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.